Good morning. All right. This is weird enough, isn't it? All right. Uh, it's, it's really good to be with you. Uh, hello to everyone online. Um, we're with you in spirit, and uh, it's good to be with you in person, those who are here. Um, yeah, it's painful not to sing, uh, and it's a, it's a joy to, to be here, though. So uh, I guess we're just jumping right in. Um, we're continuing our series in Colossians, seeing that Jesus Christ, he is enough, that we don't need more than him, that we don't need to go beyond him, that we don't need to kind of... There's this temptation to think that there's greater things out there, that if only we could reach some spiritual pinnacle that's greater. Um, and we're being reminded in this book, no, just keep going back to Jesus. And with that in mind, we talked last week about how do you grow in Christ? How do you grow in your faith? How do you grow deeper and mature? And we saw you walk in Jesus. Just keep walking in Jesus. Walk in the reality that Jesus Christ has died for your sins. Walk in the reality that in Christ you are delighted in and that our Father sings over us with songs of delight that we really are uh, washed clean. And so that's kind of the, the path to maturity and Paul now is kind of hedging off all of the other paths that we might be tempted to take. The paths of maturity and growth that are actually fake and false and removed from Jesus Christ. And so today we're kind of answering, asking the question, uh, who do you give uh, authority to, to speak into your maturity? What, what rules do you follow? How do you interact with a world that is, uh, has its own way and its own view of how you should grow and how you should change and what that should look like? And with that in mind, we're going to see that uh, there's kind of two alternate kind of ways that we can try to grow and the world tries to grow us and, uh, and how it abandons the gospel. First, there's this kind of shallow spirituality that never gets to Jesus. And it's, it's trying to, to work up and muster some righteousness, but because it never gets to the cross, it, it has no power in it. And then there's this other, this kind of high and lofty spirituality, this mystical pseudo-religious vibe that it's basically, it's gone beyond the cross and therefore is just as weak and as powerless. And ultimately, we're going to see that how do we find strength, how do we find power to change? It's by staying rooted in that gospel and embracing not just what Christ has done, but what Christ is continuing to do and how he is calling us to grow in him. So uh, we're going to see those two things. That's the shallow, the mystical, and then the, the real power. And let's read Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 through 23. This is Colossians 2, 16 through 23. It should be on the screens. It should be on, uh, in the note section if you want to find it there uh, in the Bible section. Colossians 2, verses 16 through 23. Therefore... Because of all that Christ has done, because he has offered the sacrifice, because he has washed us clean, therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink, or with regard to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason, 
by a sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you have died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to all things that perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you might connect us to to the real power source, uh, joy in Jesus Christ. And Father, we ask that we would not be burdened by rituals or by exalted lofty theories or philosophy or aestheticism, but Father, that we would delight in getting to have the simplicity of the cross. And we thank you that the work of Jesus is complete and that it is enough for our salvation and for our sanctification to grow in holiness and righteousness and purity. So, Father, would you protect us from the things that would keep us from great joy in Jesus? And, Father, would you do the work that we cannot muster, that we cannot do ourselves, that you may get all the glory. We pray in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, so first of all, this kind of shallow spirituality. It doesn't go deep enough, it doesn't get to Jesus, and therefore doesn't have any power. Verse 16. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. All right, so first, there are these false judgments regarding food and drink and, and days. And what is Paul getting at here? Why is he, what, what is he really saying and talking about food and drink and these kind of things? Um, now, I know you don't often like this, but sometimes we have to go through the, the whole redemptive historical kind of perspective and, and think about these things larger. Now, there's this whole category of the Old Testament law there was ceremonial. It was ritual. And what's happened is that these things, these, this food and drink and these festivals, new moons and Sabbaths, they have ritual aspects to them. And because of that, they, they're supposed to point to something larger. And if we use them as these kind of laws and miss the, the larger picture of Jesus then they're pointless, and they're actually going to keep us from from real growth. So what does that look like? Let's start with uh, just this first one, the food. All right, so uh, kosher laws. You're not supposed to eat lobster. You're not supposed to eat crab. You're not supposed to eat cheesesteak because you're not supposed to mix those two. You can have a cheese cheese or a steak, not a cheesesteak. All right, why did those laws exist? And the very superficial, shallow reading of those things is, hey, uh, maybe those things are evil in and of themselves. Or maybe they they pollute us and they make us us unholy. Maybe 
and this one, this one is probably the one that maybe you've heard, is that those things will make you sick. And so this was God protecting his people from illness. All right, all those things, they're, they're actually missing the whole point. That these food laws, these, all of the ceremonial laws, all of these rituals are supposed to point to larger spiritual realities. And so the people aren't supposed to say, oh, I'm like so glad I didn't eat crab today because I'm a lot holier because of it. No, it's supposed to say, hey, it seems like God cares about what, what is evil and what is good. He cares about a separation between things that, that pollute and that defile and things that, that lift up. And it's supposed to point forward to this call of God's people to be holy and to be righteous and to be pure. Not by the food. The food is supposed to point them to the fact that they should be spiritually be pure and righteous and holy. And by, by wrestling with the food laws, they're supposed to then wrestle with our, their hearts before God and say, how do I worship you? How do I choose good and, and glory for your name over sin? All right, that's the point. And if you miss that, then you start doing goofy things. And the fact is, if, if there's this picture, this symbolic picture of holiness and righteousness and purity, then why do we still need it once we have Jesus Christ? That's the question. Why do we need a picture of things that have actually happened in Jesus Christ? And that's where we see Paul talking. Uh, Colossians 1.21 and you who were once alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds, Jesus has now reconciled in this body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. He's saying this thing that was kind of fought for in a picture has now become reality in Jesus Christ. And so you can leave the picture behind because we have everything that it was pointing towards, everything that we wanted and knew we had to have by these purity laws have now been given to us in Jesus. And so he's saying, don't let anyone judge you by them anymore. They're dead. All right, what is this like? Um, all right, let's say you had a professional bowler. All right, they're a professional bowler. Yes, Alex likes this. He's, a, he's very into professional bowling, as, as his face showed. <laughs> Uh, this is why I like having people here, because reactions like that. <laughs> all right, so you have a professional bowler, uh, and all right, they're, they're doing well. And uh, someone comes to them and asks, you know, uh, you know I, I have a tip for you. I don't think you're, you're the, ever all the bowler that you should be. Uh, you should use the bumpers. I think that would really help your game. And I don't, I don't think you're, uh, you're really considering the, the, whole, the whole system here. You're not a real bowler because you don't use the bumpers. After all, everyone starts with them, and, you know, it... All right, what would, they, what would they say to that? That's stupid. It's just straight stupid. It's kind of a stupid illustration, to be honest. Um, that, too. But why? Because you've outgrown those things. You needed them as a, as a training guard, as a, a help and assistance when you were miserable at these things, but... Now that the, the real is come, now that you've come into your own, you don't need them anymore. All right, that's what we're talking about when we're talking about uh, the ritual laws. 
They're supposed to be a reminder that you don't have purity and righteousness, but we're kind of wrestling with it and fighting with it. Now that we have Jesus Christ, you are pure. You are righteous. You are holy. And so why would you want to submit to the judgment of these people who are throwing at you these shallow, superficial, goofy things that you don't even need anymore? That's what we're saying. That's what we're saying. And now it, it, he takes it further and, uh, and talks about not just food. He talks about these, the days. So holy festival days. He talks about the new moons. Now new moons, what, what you did in the, in the new, new moon kind of ritual was you offered sacrifices. And it was kind of a reminder that, hey, uh, it's a new month. It's a new you. And you're holy now, and you get to live this kind of whole new month, uh, renewed and with, with mercies bestowed upon you. And then you had the Sabbath, and the Sabbath was looking forward to the day when you would be with God and in his kingdom, that you would be at rest and you'd be free from the works that you've been in bondage to. Now, as we think about that ritual, and then we say, okay, how does it play out now that we're in Jesus Christ? Colossians 1.13. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. What would Paul say? Paul would say, why are you pretending or, or reenacting this thing that's going to happen in the future when... Spiritually, you are already standing in the kingdom. That you have been united with Christ, you've been resurrected, you are now with him on the throne. And so, to pretend that we have new mercies once a month is foolish when we know that in the blood of Christ we have new mercies second after second, day after day. Why would you anticipate being free from spiritual works when in Christ we are totally free from all works, we are, we are under grace? We don't submit to, to superficial, Christ-neglecting laws anymore. And we don't let other judge, others judge us by them. All right. An example of this happening in real life. In real life. Uh, all right, so I was, went to a secular university, was roommates with, uh, with an atheist. He comes in with his atheist friends, and uh, what do they say? They say, hey, your, your Bible's on the ground. Why are you disrespecting the word of God? All right, me as a snarky college freshman, what did I say? Well, at least I'm reading the thing. Uh, <laughs> and that's the point. That's, 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 the, that's the reality we're talking about here. Like the ritual is supposed to go to a deeper heart motive, and that's that you love the word and you read it. Not that you respect it by putting it on the shelf. You put it in your heart. And those are the kind of things that we're dealing with. Now, what does that look like in your actual daily life? Um, what are rituals that kind of the Christian church and the Christian body can put on each other? All right, one, uh, Bible reading. So someone might ask you the question, did you read your Bible today? When they should be asking you the question, did you rejoice in Jesus today? Did you enjoy the salvation that you have in him? Did you worship? But no, it, it, it's been... 
It's been kind of parsed out and, and made shallow and superficial and said, no, did you read your Bible? Confusing the, the means and the ends. Or maybe it's saying, hey, did you, did you give to the deacon's fund? Are you, are you helping the poor? When there's a homeless guy in your basement who you're cooking meals for every day. It's, it's that kind of level of, of foolishness that gets removed from the heart of the things. And we don't submit to ritual anymore. And we don't content ourselves with ritual going through the motions. We ask, okay, what is the, what is the point of these things? How is it getting to Jesus and worship of him? Now, some of the things that we might not think about um, that I think we probably do more often than we realize are things like uh, judging people by their, their politeness or their or their niceness, or their lack of social awkwardness. And we hold these things up and we say, hey, that's, let's judge each other by those things. Because the assumption is, well, maybe, maybe behind those things is love. But what do we do? We don't ask people to love. We ask people to make sure that they, they are nice and they're smiling and they're happy and they, they put on a fresh face. What is that? That's ritual. It's dead and it's removed from the joy of Jesus. And I know that we can put those burdens on, on each other in the church. We can feel those burdens. And I'm saying, don't, don't let anyone put those burdens on you. That you stand before the Lord himself and you're responsible for your own joy. You're not responsible for pleasing other people and making sure that, that you live the Christian life according to their standards and their judgments. That's what we're saying. I love that this passage is, is so full of, of freedom and that the laws here are called not to do anything but to, to be free from those who would who'd steal from you your freedom and your joy. Now, that takes us to uh, our, second, our second part of this. Uh, no, one last, one last thing, one last thing. Uh, verse 17. These are shadows of the thing to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. All right, another stupid illustration. Stupid illustration. All right, let's say this guy, he's, uh, he's laying on a sunny, sunny field, he's reading a book, and a shadow, a shadow comes walking by him, and he sees this long flowing hair and a beautiful dress. And this must be an incredibly beautiful woman, and he falls in love with the shadow and he never ends up talking to this girl. He kind of obsesses about her shadow and the image, never actually looks her in the face, never says hi to her. All right, that's what we're talking about here. It's a, to, to obsess over laws and ritual and things that are supposed to point to Jesus and make us fall in love with him, but instead we're focused on, on the shadow on the ground and missing the person that has died and who loves us and who wants a relationship with us. That's the focus of the Christian life is Jesus. We need to look up from the shadows and see him. All right. So now let's talk about this other kind of half here. So there's the shallow laws. Try to grow through shallow submission to things that are far from Jesus. And then we have that other side which says, hey, let's grow by just going totally beyond Jesus. That Jesus is great, but hey, we can do a lot better than that. Let's grow spiritually and leave him in the dust. 
Verse 18. Let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by a sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. All right, what kind of worldly growth is this now? This is leaving Jesus behind so we can reach some kind of greater pinnacle, some plane of, of righteousness and holiness and spirituality uh, beyond what we might get in Jesus Christ. And there's kind of a different flavor for each of you, uh, each of us, in our own temptation. So for some, uh, you're kind of worksy, and you like doing works, and you feel good when you're working hard, and what's offered to you? Asceticism. That you might choose, a, that they, someone might give you a bunch of laws that God actually doesn't care about, but you've convinced yourself that if you do those, you'll be a little bit holier than the people next to you. Or maybe there's a, you're more of the, uh, the philosophical, intellectual, and you're thinking, hey, you know what, I could worship Jesus, but what if I worship angels? What if I worship other spiritual things? What are the greater heights of, of enjoyment and spiritual worship? Or there's those who are more on the, the supernatural, charismatic bend, and they might say, well, yeah, Jesus is great, but visions and secret knowledge and greater things, maybe I can get higher and know God better. Now, what would Paul say to all this stuff? He would say that, as we, as we saw a couple weeks ago, all of the mysteries of the glory of God have been revealed in Jesus. In Jesus Christ, and you are united to Jesus. All right, the reality for each of you is that through faith in Jesus, by grace, by his work alone, you are, you are already at the summit of spiritual heights. You cannot get any higher. You can never become a better Christian. You're not going to become more glorious than you are by Jesus Christ alone, by grace alone, by faith alone. And I know that there's, there are times when all of us and maybe time people here who feel like, you know, I'm not a very good Christian. And I wish I were a better Christian. That, that's, that's in antithesis to everything the Christian life is about. No, there are perfect Christians who are putting their faith in Jesus Christ and they are united to Christ and you are at the heights of spiritual glory. You're as good as you can get. And what does Paul say? By trying to go any higher, you will disqualify yourself. That whatever crown you are going to receive by grace, once you try to snatch at it by works, it disappears. And that's how you fall from heaven, by trying to go higher than Jesus Christ. And so what do we see? We see, stick to the cross, stick to Jesus. He is our head He's the one who gives us life. He's the one who, who brings us up to the heights of glory. He is the firstborn from the dead. He is preeminent over all. To have Jesus is to have everything.
Now that takes us to our, our final point. Our final point here. We need to be free from the world's methods of holiness and righteousness and growth. There are methods of the world and we need to be free from them because there's no power in them and stick to Jesus Christ alone. Verse 20. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you're still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they're used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance, an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity of the body, but they have no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. They have no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. All right, what is this saying? The world has methods for how you can grow and how you can change and how you can become a better person. And all of them are dependent on you trying harder and you proving yourself and earning self-righteousness and, and basically beating yourself into becoming a better person. And Paul's essentially saying, you know what, you died to sin and you died to the world. Why would you want the methods of that world that you died to? Why would you want their wisdom when you have the cross before you, the cross of Jesus, you have the death and resurrection, you have heights of glory and power that are never offered to the world? Why do you want their methods? And their methods are shame. That if you feel bad, about, bad enough about who you are and what you do, then maybe you'll change because you'll feel worthless otherwise. All right, guilt. That if you feel like a bad enough person and like you're under judgment, then, then maybe you'll free yourself from it. Maybe pride. That if you have to prove that you're worth something, if you have to prove that you're better than other people, and you really feel that in your heart, then maybe you can, you can try harder. People-pleasing. That if you have enough people looking at you and judging you, then maybe you'll rise to the occasion so you don't disappoint them. Comparison. That if you constantly look at other people, and then maybe you can muster enough energy to beat them. All right, all of those things, all of those things are death. They are death and they are slavery and they're just pummeling ourselves. When we have this God of grace before us who says, you know what, I love you, I have died for you, you are perfect in my sight, I see you in light of the work of my son, you've been washed by his blood, how about you're changed by that instead? Be changed by that and live in that reality that is the only way to change. So let's take, let's take those, those two methods. Let's talk about the Sabbath. Because the Sabbath, we, there's a ritual part of that which has died. But there's a reality that, yeah, we come together. We have come together under dire circumstances because we think this is really important. Um, now, on the one hand, you'd have the person who says, you know what? All right, 
tell me about the Sabbath. Uh, give me a list of all the things I'm not allowed to do, and I'll try not to do them. And all the things that I have to do that are obligations of the Sabbath, and let's see, I'll, I'll, I'll try to do them. And I'll work a little harder than I did last week, and I'll try to make it. All right, versus you take the other person, and they're, they're not asking, how do I prove myself? How do I get holiness? They're saying, like, I really just enjoy Jesus. And I enjoy who he is and what he's done for me. And this Sabbath, I'm not asking, what, what am I not allowed to do? I'm asking, like, how can I enjoy Jesus? How does this day, how is it a blessing and a gift to me that I get to focus on the work of Jesus and his love for me for 24 hours on a day off? And the person who's there, what? The Sabbath is not a burden. It's not oppressive. It's not asceticism and severity. It's a delight. Because it's taken us to Jesus and it's delighting in him and it's receiving the gift of grace and it takes the, the cross, the central his death and resurrection, the perfection we have in him. And that, that should be translated into every single law, every single work, every single time that we are called to, to change and to be different. It has to go back to Jesus. And at that point, the, the rules become a, lot, a little more fuzzy, actually. So let's take the, the Jewish person who wants to eat kosher. They don't want to eat lobster because they want to leave it for the rest of us. Uh, what's, when they are seeing it in light of Jesus, what are they saying? They're saying, like, yeah, I, I eat this because, not because I get anything from it, but it reminds me of the holiness that I have in Jesus. And it reminds me what a joy it is to be set apart and to be chosen by God. And, you know, it's a reminder of that. I know I'm, it's, it's all about Jesus, but I do it. And what do we say to that person? We say, yeah, great. That sounds awesome. Go, go enjoy your kosherness. And then you could have the exact same, same laws. And the, the Gentile says, you know what? I'm going to eat lobster. And I'm going to eat lobster to the glory of Jesus because it reminds me of the freedom that I have. And it reminds me of the blessing that I don't, I don't work for holiness, I receive it from Jesus. And that those things have been perfected and now I don't have to. And that's right, when the focus is on Jesus Christ, it's not about the laws and which one you choose, it's about Jesus and we aren't judging each other according to which one you pick. We're all looking together at Jesus, and we're making different decisions. Now, one kind of application of this, my hope is that when we think about coronavirus, and whether you came here, or your decisions and how to interact with people, and we are not saying, well, if you... If you interact with people, then you hate them, and you're... You're wishing ill upon them and failing to love them. Or, you know, if you don't go to church, then you're breaking the Sabbath or you're, you're failing to meet together. You're failing to, to love the body. It's like, no, we're all making different decisions to, to love Jesus. And that's okay. 
And we aren't here to judge one another. We're here to, to help each other love Jesus and see the gospel and enjoy him. And to live in the freedom of all the different ways that we can do that. Let's connect to the joy in Jesus. Not to our slavery according to the law, not judging each other, but just enjoying Jesus Christ. And in everything that we do, we are connected to the cross of Jesus and seeking to enjoy him more. That's the beauty of the Christian life. That's the power that we have. That in every obedience, we have an opportunity to enjoy Jesus more and love the life that he's given us the resurrection life, free of sin and death and judgment. Amen? All right. Now, any questions? Any questions? <laughs> Everyone's doing the like, look away. <laughs> I'm not going to call on you. <laughs> All right, cool. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that we stand in him alone. We stand in his righteousness. We stand in his holiness. Father, it's hard to believe that we would be at the heights of, of spiritual glory. And Father, would you give us freedom from the things that would try to, to knock us off of that joyful place. That would try to enslave us once again that would keep us from Jesus Christ. And Father, I ask that you give us great spiritual wisdom as we look at the things we're called to do. Father, would you give us greater understanding of the joy that we have in obedience? And Father, would we really love Jesus more than we love other things? And if we were called to sacrifice, would they be a simple sacrifice that we exchange something worthless for something of infinite joy. Father, we ask that you would unite us together as a body, that we would pursue Jesus together, that we'd be united in loving and enjoying him. We pray this in his name.